0: Hey there, Fellowship of the Rockies. My name is Eli Finley, and I'm the youth pastor here at the church. And thank you so much for joining us online this weekend. Uh, I hope everyone is doing well during this pandemic. And uh, I can speak for all of the staff here at the church when I say that we miss you and we love you so much. Uh, Pastor Charlie has led us so faithfully during this time. And I know that he cannot wait for the day that we get to be assembled together again. And we pray that that time is coming soon. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 today, so wherever you're watching right now, grab a Bible, grab a notebook, because God has something to say to you through his scripture today. This is a very well-known story in scripture. Uh, Many people who don't have any affiliation with church or with Sunday school still know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You see, we know that because Daniel followed the Lord, that the king throws him into a pit of lions, and then after one night of being in there, the king lets him out and releases him, and that's really how I would have summed up the story until just a few weeks ago when I reread this this chapter in my Bible during a study that I was doing, and it was like watching a movie or listening to an album that you haven't heard in a really long time. You see, you have a faint memory of the melody and, and where the music should go and how the album should sound, and then you hear a song that you think, how did I not fall in love with this before? You see, for me and my family, we do this a lot with movies. We don't we don't remember things about the first few times that we watch it, or there are things that we notice each time that we watch a movie. And so uh, I remember this clearly when, when my mom would leave on a ladies retreat or she would do something like that with the church, she'd be gone for a night. Then my dad would kind of allow uh, my older brother and I to watch some movies that you know, may have slipped through the crack, even though you know his his sons were young and impressionable. And so, one movie, particularly, I remember, is called *The Patriot*. And it's not altogether family friendly, but it is a great American classic. And so movies like that would sometimes slip through the cracks. And so, uh, regardless, you know, it has some violent things in there or not. But we were allowed to watch it as long as my dad, you know, said close your eyes, and we close our eyes at the right times. That was kind of the rule. And so we started watching this movie. And as we're going, you know, my dad is saying, "Oh, close your eyes. whoop, oh, shut your eyes." You know, more more times than he realized he needed to. You know, and then it comes to his trademark phrase right there towards the end of the movie, and he's just like. Well, I don't remember that being in there. And it's funny how little that we remember each and every time that, that we watch or read or listen to something. There are things that we, can, that we can gain from it every single time we watch or listen to it. And that's the way that it is with Scripture. Because we could read one piece of Scripture a hundred times and still come away with something new or different that God is trying to speak to us. That happens all the time. And that's why I want to I lead us through Daniel chapter 6 this week. You see, I've always known this chapter as Daniel in the lion's den, but truly this story is a story about King Darius and what happens in the lion's den. This is more about the effect that these events of this chapter have on the king. And it has far greater implications than what just happens in the den. So let me read Daniel chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. It says this, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them, three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption. For he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you the king will be thrown into the lion's den therefore your majesty establish establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians it is irrevocable and cannot be changed so king darius signed the document and so this first movement of, of the scripture, these first few verses are the setup for our story. And they reveal a few themes that we're going to walk through that we're going to see King Darius battle with and struggle with the entire chapter. You see, the first thing is this is the way that these people, the Medes and the Persians, this, this kingdom, the way they value the law and their government above all things. We can see from just these first few verses that there's a huge apparatus of of different positions in their government. The satraps and governors and administrators and all these other positions, they have a huge organization going on because they're really showing you what they value, what they put their trust in. They valued their law so much that the king, the king, the highest ranking person, could not reverse or change laws that the government had made and, they t- and, and it was because they took it to mean that that law was faulty or that it was wrong. And so they made it a matter of pride for themselves that, that they were amazing because their, their laws couldn't be changed because they were perfect. And so not even the king could change the law because that would mean that it wasn't perfect. And so it was really a matter of pride for these people. And there's another principle that these verses reveal that many of us have probably experienced. And it's this, that loud faith is going to receive negativity from a faithless world. Daniel lived his faith out in front of others and was despised for it. And see, for us, we should expect pushback from people who don't agree with us. We should expect these things. But like Daniel, we have to pursue acceptance from God and not our peers. That should be what our goal is. And so let's, let's read the second movement of, of scripture. I'm going to read verses 10 through 13. It says, When Daniel learned that the, that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God, and so they approached the king and asked about his edict, Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any man who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, As a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed. For he prays three times a day. And so I love this because Daniel's first reaction to a changing social and political situation is prayer. It says when he first heard the edict, he went straight back to his home, to his upper room and prayed just as he had done before. He continued practicing his faith without interruption because he refused to respond to a shifting landscape the way that everyone else was. He wasn't gonna do that. He simply wanted to reflect his faith. A little bit more than a year ago, I was going to a youth pastors conference in Colorado Springs. And as you can imagine, I was dressed like a young youth pastor. So I had skinny jeans on and I had a jean jacket on. That's, that's pretty much par for most younger youth pastors in America today. Okay, so I looked like a normal younger youth pastor. Well, this conference was at a big church. And so this campus has multiple buildings and I've never been here before. And I'm also going to this this conference alone. And so I kind of show up and... I don't really know where to go. There's not there's not any signs about this conference or anything. And so I, I just kinda of picked a building, the biggest one I saw, and just walked inside there. And there's like no activity going on in there. And so I was really confused and I'm kinda of looking down a hallway and, and I, I kind of make eye contact with this security guard from across the hall. And he kinda of, kinda of gives me a weird look and he and we walk up to each other and he kinda of looks me up and down and he and he says I he kind of interrupts me and he says you're looking for the youth pastor conference, aren't you? And I said, you know what gave me away? And he said, the jean jacket did for sure. You know, and we had a little bit of a laugh and then he directs me to the right building, the right room and stuff. And so I walk into that room and there's just a sea of jean jackets. There's probably a hundred youth pastors in this room. And I'm gonna go with probably 75 to 80 of them, including myself, have jean jackets on and probably some version of skinny jeans. We all have that on, right? And so I say all that to say, do you look like what you believe in? Daniel understood this concept. He understood that he needed to look like what his convictions are. And so I asked this, can someone see what you believe by the way that your life looks? Can someone look at the way you're handling your current situation and see Jesus? Can someone look at the way that you're handling this quarantine and say, I want Jesus in my life? And this is why it's so important, and this is my first point, is because your faith has an effect on those around you. It truly does. You see, it's Daniel wearing his faith on his sleeves that turns the king's attention. You, we read earlier in the chapter that, that Daniel had, had, had a spirit about him, and, and that's what King Darius noticed. He noticed that, that Daniel was far and above the other pieces of this government, and so he was going to set him over some things. He saw that Daniel wore his faith on his sleeve. He saw that there was something different about him. Whether he knew it was faith in in the God of Israel or not, he knew that there was something different. And so Daniel, looking like what he believed, was hugely important. And that's what turns the king's attention. Let me prove this to you. In verses 13 through 18, it says this. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict that you saw that you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went to the king and said to him, you as king know it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So then the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him to the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. It says no diversions or distractions were brought to him and he could not sleep. You see, King Darius sees Daniel's faithfulness to God, and that changes the way that he's viewing his life. It changes the way he does things. And this was truly the turning point for me, I believe, in, in realizing that this story is, is not really about Daniel because we walk through this situation where, where Daniel decides to be faithful to his God and follow the law and pray to his God, and because of that, he's being thrown into the lion's den. He's suffering consequences for a law against his own faith but we don't talk about Daniel's fear at all. We don't talk about Daniel's reaction to this at all. And you see, I'm sure there was, there was some fear within Daniel, but Daniel is, is sold on looking like what he believes, and he knows that God has delivered people from burning furnaces, so why couldn't he deliver him from the lion's den but seeing King Darius, is, he's now stuck in this tension of, of what the law requires that he holds so dear, that he values. And what would faith and Daniel's God mean for him? Because he sees the difference in Daniel. You See, King Darius is not just stuck here because he doesn't want to kill a good man. He's a king in an in in ancient time. He has no problem with conflict. There's a reason he's in the position that he's in of power. This law was also requiring people to worship him as the king. He's the greatest in all of this land, and yet he despairs for a person who refused to worship him. That's the person he's heartbroken for. And this tension is, is much deeper than, than this law requires me to kill Daniel, who's good at his job and a good part of my government. The tension is this, can righteousness truly come through the law of my people? Because the law, the law of my land is killing a person who's done nothing wrong in the sight of his God. He's killing a person that I actually believe to be a good man, and I can't change this even though I have power. So, which will have his allegiance? Faith, giving over to, to the way of life that Daniel leads, or the law that he has valued greatly for all of his life in, the, in his culture? And King Darius at this point must have thought Daniel, couldn't you have just closed the windows? Couldn't you have just closed the windows when you were praying and done it privately so that no one could have caught you in this? And the king wrestles with this all night. In fact, uh, the ESV translation of these verses, it says that sleep fled from him. This is truly the king fighting over what meaning his life is going to have. It's an internal struggle. And all of this truly goes to show that we we never know the impact that our faith can have on someone else. We don't know. And what's beautiful about this faith is that it will always have an impact on those around us because of who God is, because of his power, because of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-9 through nine say this. This is Paul speaking, and he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. You see, God wants to work in others' lives through you. He wants to do a work on the people around you. That's why he's called us to go into all the nations, spreading the gospel and discipling people. See, this is my second point, that we have an impact on others' faith because of God's power and his spirit living in us. It's just like this verse said, that that neither the one who plants or waters is anything because God gives the growth. Because God, God does the work. We just have to be faithful. And there may be people that you have had a huge impact on that you may never know. There may be people in your life that they have had a huge impact on your faith. And they simply just may not ever know. My background in, in ministry is, is in camp ministry. And so it was like catch and release fishing. So, so I would be involved at a camp, you know, for six to eight weeks during a summer. And each week I would see a new batch of students. And so it truly was like catch and release fishing because... Because I would get to be a part of spiritual decisions or salvations or things like that with these students. Each and every week, new students, new faces, experiencing different things. But then I'd wave goodbye to them at the end of the week. And they would go in these decisions that they had made and go back home. And and I would never really know the impact that I had on these students. In fact, I've experienced this the other way around. Is that one of the people who has had a massive impact on my faith was at a camp. There, there was this camp staffer in the summer of 2011 in Glorieta, New Mexico. And I don't remember a lot about this camp, to be completely honest. I was about to be an eighth grader. I don't remember, I, I remember those songs we sang. I don't remember the preacher very well. I don't remember much about that week. But I do remember that this one staffer stood up at the end of the week and he started talking about giving because they were talking about a missions giving that the camp was organizing. And I, I can almost tell you verbatim what he talked about and what he said. He talked about this this uh this parable that that jesus tells her it 's not a parable i 'm sorry it's out of, it's out of um, luke chapter twenty two and it, the the staffer talked about sacrificial giving and it 's about the widow 's might about the widow who gave her might where these other people were giving large gifts just for the the attention of it, but she was giving out of what she had, which was almost nothing. And I, I can remember almost verbatim what he's talked about with, with sacrificial giving. And seven summers later, in the summer of 2018, I shared the same exact message to a sea of faces of students, and I'll never know the impact. I will never know who that original staffer was who shared with me. And he'll never know who I was because he was preaching to a camp. He doesn't know who I was in that crowd but the impact he has had on me and my ministry really is huge. It's shaped many of the things that I've preached and spoken about and pursued in ministry. And that's the kind of effect that Daniel has on King Darius. Because this whole night in the pit, while Daniel's in the pit, he has no idea that the king is struggling with where his faith is at. He has no idea that that King Darius is really fighting over what meaning his life is going to have, what allegiance he's going to give his life over to. You see, we have no way of knowing what's going on in Daniel's head as he's in the pit, wondering why the lions haven't attacked him yet. But we also know what Daniel's reaction to a shifting landscape is, and that's prayer. So we can assume Daniel was probably praying at this point. But after a full night of tension, this is how the story goes, and we're in verse 19. It says this, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. So after a sleepless night, he runs out to the lion's den. It says, when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, and this is important, servant of the living God. The king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They haven't hurt me for I was found innocent before him and also i have not committed a crime against you my king and the king was overjoyed and gave orders to take daniel out of the den and so daniel was taken out of the den uninjured for he trusted in his god then the king then gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den they their children and their wives and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. You see, this, this, this piece in verse 20 here, this is Darius' change of view on God. And we can, we can see by the way he speaks to Daniel that, that he's wrestled with this and that he's opening the door to faith. Because in verse 16, when he puts Daniel into the pit, he, he, says, he just simply says, Daniel, may the God whom you continually serve save you. Because I can't, the law doesn't allow me to save you. But then in verse 20, he comes back and he says, he's, after wrestling with this tension all night, he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, because maybe that living God can save you. And I'm willing to believe it. He says, servant of the living God, may the God whom you continually serve, has he saved you? And so then Daniel speaks to the king and he was, he shows his priorities. He was innocent to his God first. In the eyes of his God, he's innocent. And then before the king, He's innocent. He has not wronged the king. But the law of this land, the law of the Medes and Persians, this thing that King Darius has valued, is not even mentioned. It's not even brought up. And that's because Daniel lays out his priorities and the law of the Medes and Persians is not really one of them. And so Daniel's faith has changed the way the king viewed faith versus law in his life. And the king comes to this realization and this is what's a part of the, tr- the switch between verses 16 and 20. It comes to the realization that the law of his men cannot save men. The law of men only sets boundaries. It doesn't build people up. It builds boundaries and fences for actions. It's about behavior modification. But the law of God is not the same. And this is a very common misconception about Christianity even today. Because the law of God is not the same. It's not, it's not built to do the same things as the law of man. And this is where many people get mixed up in the rules and the regulations of Scripture because many people think that Christianity is, is simply about a moralism. It's simply about following a moral law. And that's not what faith is truly about. Because God's law is deeper than the actions of our flesh. It's about the meditations of our heart. Jesus makes it very clear that it's that it's what's going on in your heart that defiles you. That's what makes us sinful. In other words, God's law is more about what's going on on the inside, the inner turmoil. So Grace and I like many of you I'm sure during this quarantine have been working on our home. We've been working on fixing some things, making it look nicer. And so we redid one of our rooms during quarantine, and we decided that we were going to buy a new dresser. And we had it shipped to us, and it was in a box, and I had to put it together. And I won't tell you how difficult it was, because I'm slightly ashamed at how, how much trouble I had putting it together. But, but it's, it's kind of multifaceted, and it's, and it's a little bit uh, funny, as far as the dresser goes, I, I wasn't absolutely sure what I was doing. I did get it together, I promise you. But basically, the entire thing is built on this middle shelving unit that's that's in the middle, this panel of wood that holds the rest of the other wood pieces and drawers together. Okay, So this one panel is kind of bearing all of the weight for what's going on in the dresser. And, and it's a little bit nuanced, and, and I realized about three-quarters of the way through building this dresser that that middle panel that bears all the weight, I had it in upside down. It was incorrect. And all of me wanted to find a band-aid solution to this problem. I wanted to just add another screw here, add another nail here, or do something different here so that I could just fix the problem and not have to redo everything. But the fact is, if I put this middle panel together wrong, it won't bear the weight of everything that I need it to bear. It won't hold any of the things that Grace and I need to put into the dresser. It can't accomplish its purpose if it's not put together correctly. And so, of course, I had to pull it apart and re-put it back together, and I was very frustrated by that. But this middle panel is on the inside of the drawers. And so part of me is thinking that this cabinet, this dresser, it wouldn't look any different if I just added a few more screws in certain places. It It would look just fine with the added screws. It would have looked no different, but it still would not have worked correctly. And it's the same thing with the relationship of faith and God's law because we can act like we have faith but then never follow the law of God. See, Jesus had a conversation with the Pharisees about this in Matthew chapter 22 and he says that the greatest commandments for us is to love God with all our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds. And then he says the, the next is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that all the law and the prophets depend on these. And so God's law is simply, it's about making us more like him. It's about shifting and forming and molding our hearts to be more similar to the heart of God than to the sinful nature and heart of man. The reality is our faith can't operate correctly unless we follow the law of our Lord. It can't operate correctly. These two commandments that Jesus pointed out, these are the things that hold our faith together. And so God's law, these things that Jesus talks about, they're a lot like the middle panel of my dresser because they hold all the weight. They hold our faith together, but also because I can hide it. I can hide how bad it looks or how it was put in incorrectly. And I can hide God's law within me because I can be fake with people and I can be a different person when I'm at church or around other believers than I am at work when I'm not around other believers. I can claim to love God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind, but do I act like it? Do I simply look like what I believe in? We can hide those things. Daniel could have closed the windows but by not allowing God's law to hold weight in my life, I'm not allowing it to work the way that it's supposed to work, to bear the weight that it's meant to bear. It's very easy to make excuses, but excuses don't hold weight. God's law and God's commandments can hold weight in our lives because God's law is the law of our hearts, and so it's on the inside. It drives action on the outside, but it starts with our heart. And here's the difference in God's law than any other. His rules are always for our benefit. They're always about protecting our heart and protecting our minds. It's never about controlling us. And in the words of the late Ravi Zacharias, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead men alive. And that's what the heart of God is, to give us a new heart of flesh. That's something that an edict of the Medes and the Persians can never do. And King Darius comes to that realization. And the climax of this passage is in verse 20 and it's not after. This is when King Darius is willing to put his faith on the line because of his change of heart. He's willing to believe that that God can save Daniel from this pit of lions. And therefore, if God can do that, he can save me. The law of his people couldn't. So maybe faith can. And when Daniel rises out of the pit, it's confirmation for the king that his priorities have been in the wrong place. And he repents. He repents. He turns away. The Bible doesn't use this word repent, but we can see by his actions that he's made a 180 degree turn from his past. Verses 24 through 28, it says this. The king then gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, every nation and language who live in all the earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and he delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the king of Cyrus the Persian. You see, the king, King Darius, he puts the people to death who manipulated the law in order to attempt to murder Daniel. And then the king changes the law so that all people must recognize Daniel's God, whereas just a few weeks, a few days before, he's requiring people to worship himself. Now he's turned the attention of the people to God, the God of Israel. And this is the proof, I believe, of King Darius's salvation. He repents and he turns away and he calls attention to God calling him the living God. And I believe that he's someone that, that we will praise the Lord with one day in heaven together. But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop. Because, and this is my third point, is that faith has an impact where willingness starts. The story didn't stop with him, with him deciding to turn away from, from his old ways and his old values and, and embrace the values of God. It's more than that. Because for King Darius, his his faith started in the position that he was in. He used all the power he had to spread the name of the Lord. Not only did he turn away from the old things, but he brought in new things and he shared and he brought the name of the Lord to many nations. It says, all people and tongues, all the people that he knew of that he could possibly reach, those are the ones he's trying to reach to witness about the Lord. And it's the same for us. Our impact starts the moment that we're willing to allow God to use us to say something bold or not even bold, say something simple. To pray for another person, to share our faith with someone, but simpler even than that, this is this us being willing to answer God's call isn't always just about one moment of boldness. Maybe God wants you to be willing to just get to know that coworker that you can't stand having a Zoom call with. That's willingness to God too. And you don't have to have a high position for your faith to have an impact. God can use you no matter where you're at and no matter what you are doing, he can use you. My students, uh, the students of fellowship got to experience this very personally with an employee at, at Taco Bell here on the south end of town. You see, it's relatively common for us to go to this fine dining restaurant after youth group on Sunday nights. You know, back when we could meet on Sunday nights and we could be in the same room and eat together and stuff. You know, when we could do that, we loved to go to Taco Bell after youth group. And uh, there was this, this server, this waiter there. Uh, do they have waiters at Taco Bell? I don't think so. Uh, the gentleman who took our orders and was responsible for also cleaning the area where we were eating, that person, we ended up becoming very close with this employee. Okay, he, he just took our orders for a long time. And then, and then he was always around the students because he was always coming out of the lobby to clean things. And over time, we, got, we began to get to know this employee. And it wasn't just one moment or a well-worded sermon or, or an emotional worship set. It wasn't any of those things that caught his attention. It was the faithfulness of other students, simply being kind, helping to clean up and buying opportunities to talk to this guy about Jesus, about faith. And as it turns out, this employee, he was a senior in high school in one of our local schools in town, and we got to know him quite well through all of this process. But through a series of other circumstances, he ended up being let go from Taco Bell, and he was, he was going through a very rough time. But who was there to be with him when things went wrong, when the bottom fell out, when his, when his whole environment and landscape shifted? Who was there for him? It was a community of believers and not me. It was the students of this church. And because of the students' willingness to put their faith on display, this guy who, had, who had gotten, we had gotten to know ended up finding Jesus and salvation. And this is exactly what I was talking about with 1 Corinthians chapter three earlier. It's that God uses our faith to impact other he, others. He uses us to plant seeds and if you're supposed to water the plant, God has a bucket of truth for you to use. God equips you right where you are at for a reason. And that's to spread his name. And by his power, he equips us to do that. And it doesn't have to be our power to do this. See, Daniel's faithfulness had an impact much greater than he could have ever realized, even going down into the pit. Our faith can have the same effect and impact on others around us, even today. So my question for you is this. Could someone look at the way that you're living out your faith and say that I want Jesus? Could someone look at the way that you're you're handling this pandemic and all of the things going on in our nation and in our community right now and say they have the love of Christ in them? They have something that I see, that I desire, that I want. Could they look at you like King Darius looked at Daniel and said, I know that there's a spirit in him that is different, that's loving, that's kind, that I want to be a part of my life. Let me pray for us today. Father God, we love you and we trust you. And today, Father, we want to commit ourselves to you and to what you're doing in this place and in these times. God, we want our faith to make a difference and to mean something. And so we ask you today to work through us in the small times, in the simple times, in the little things. Father God, help us to be faithful, to allow you to impact the others that are close with us, that are around us, to impact our families and our friends, our coworkers. Father God, I ask you for opportunities to share your name and to show your love. It's in your name we pray this prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.